and I fouled it back. So now I'm 0-2. I'm in, I'm in the hole. Yeah. Uh, the next pitch was a fastball up and away. So now it's 1-2. and two. And then he threw me another split, which he hung. It wasn't like the first two. And I was able to get to it, and that's when I hit the ball in the upper deck in Detroit for a two-run home run. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back on another episode of the Assyrian Podcast. Today, we are bringing you episode number 183 with Andre David. Andre is a retired Major League Baseball outfielder who played during parts of the 1984 and 1986 seasons with the Minnesota Twins. He played in 38 games and had 13 hits with one home run and a .245 batting average during his career. His sole home run was hit during his first official at-bat in the Major Leagues. Andre played high school ball at Chatsworth High School in Chatsworth, California. He played college ball at Cal State Fullerton and was drafted in the eighth round of the 1980 draft by the Twins. Andre currently serves as the assistant hitting coach for the Kansas City Royals. This was such a cool episode for me as a baseball fan. To know that an Assyrian played in the MLB is cool enough, but to be able to have a conversation with him is the icing on the cake. In this episode, you'll hear Andre talk about a few of his memorable moments in the Major League Baseball, his outlook on getting through life, and how his family support got him to where he is today. I'd like to give a shout out to our co-host John from Chicago for helping me with the questions. This episode is brought to you by all of us here at the Assyrian Podcast. If you want to join us as a co-host, nominate someone to be our next guest, or find out how to sponsor one of our episodes or seasons, check us out at assyrianpodcast.com. If you're also looking for the perfect gift this Christmas, we have Assyrian Podcast apparel available on our website. And now, here's Andre David. Andre, thank you so much for being here with us today on the Assyrian Podcast. I'd like to start off by if you can tell us where did you grow up and what it was like for you. I grew up in Southern California. Parents, and they're still alive today, and my brother, who uh, has a family as well, and I have a family as well now, but we were born and raised in Southern California in the San Fernando Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, grew up... Um, most of my life there, went to college there, and now live in Arizona, mm -hmm. but two-thirds of my life was spent in Southern California. Um, there's a huge community, a Syrian community in, in Southern California as well. Did you have, have a chance to kind of mingle or? A little bit, but mostly I, I was had a glove in my hand and a, and a ball, but um, my mom's parent, grandparents and parents lived in Turlock, uh -huh. California, which is kind of central California. Mm -hmm. So we would spend time there where most relatives were at the time. Some now are in Sacramento, uh, Modesto area, mm -hmm. more central California. So when I was around Assyrians, it was mostly family, 
during the holidays. Mm-hmm. And both of your parents are Assyrian? Both are full-blooded Assyrians, speak it, and um, I don't know but maybe 10 words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all right. It's in your blood. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, where were your parents from? So my dad was born in South Bend, Indiana, my mom in Chicago. Their parents came from Iraq and Turkey, okay. and then they, they made their way here. And But my parents were born here in the States and were educated here in the States as okay. well. Um, when did your grandparents come out to the States? I f- believe, if I can recall, they came here when they were probably in their 20s. Oh. And then they ended up having quite a few kids along the way, too. So my my dad had s- seven brothers and four brothers, three sisters. My mom had two other brothers. Most have passed now, um, but there's a few still alive. But they were raised uh, here in the States. Wow. So what was that like for, for your parents? My parents, it was okay. My grandparents had their struggles yeah. because they really didn't speak much English. Mm-hmm. So they had odd and end jobs, and they made do. So most of the brothers from both sides ended up going in the army mm-hmm. or military okay. right out of high school. Um, that was the way to go back then to ease the stress of the grand, you know, my grandparents, their parents. Mm-hmm. What was your fondest memory from your childhood? I would say the holidays when we got together. Mm-hmm. I grew up where my parents took care of my grandparents when they got older or an uncle. So I saw that community stay together. Yeah. And um, that was really touching for my brother and I because we saw how close-knit the family should be mm-hmm. and the respect that everybody had for one another despite struggles early. But they overcame it be because of just the courage to persevere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, I think that carried over to what I'm doing today just being successful, Mm -hmm. but they did it successfully in a different way. Yeah, to the best of their ability. Correct. Yeah. So how did you get into baseball? Well, when my brother and I were probably five and six, my dad, you know, put a glove in our hand just playing in the street out front, you know, Mm -hmm. with other kids in the neighborhood and we just gravitated toward, toward that sport. It was um, something that we all fell in love with in the neighborhood. And um, somehow I continued to really enjoy it. My brother continued to enjoy it. And they put us in Little League. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, and I enjoyed it because of the camaraderie, mm-hmm. the friendships that were developing. I didn't know how good I was in back then. And the, you're still learning and developing, you know, in a lot of ways. But I like the social aspect of it and the chemistry of how we get along and how we compete and root for one another more than maybe an individual sport. I like the team sport concept. Mm -hmm. And that kind of grew on me. And as that grew on me uh, from Little League, it ended up, you know, to minors, then the major leagues and kind of thing, then high school. And then I 
went on to college and then I I ended up getting drafted out of you know college in the, in the major league draft but I was never like above average I guess I just I played with intensity and and a lot of courage to be able to compete but eventually my talent took over and it just was amazing I I I look back and I remember my dad saying I I thought you guys would only play high school ball then you went to college mom and I were like shocked and then all of a sudden you're playing division 1 baseball and then you get drafted you've played in the college world series and all these things were happening and I was still enjoying the game mm-hmm. it really hadn't registered how good I was but I kept that drive in me you know to see how far I can take this thing wow that's amazing and you brought up the support of your of your parents um a lot of middle easterners or assyrians are uh, very passionate about soccer mm-hmm. um did your grandparents have a say in you going into baseball no my my parents were the driving force i mean not, they didn't they, they never pushed myself or my brother my brother played professional baseball as well um but they never forced us to do anything they we worked together to talk about what you want to do and um you know it felt good to have a glove in my hand and a and a ball and a bat and you know i i gave it a, a good shot <laughs> yeah. that's amazing when you were growing up and watching the sport baseball mm-hmm. which player made you dream of one day playing in the big leagues I my, growing up my favorite player uh played for the Pittsburgh Pirates his name was uh, Roberto Clemente okay. and I was a big fan of his and it's ironic that when I was playing professional baseball and I was in the minor leagues and when I got the call to play get to the major leagues finally I ended up getting number 21 and that was Roberto Clemente's That's number amazing. 21 so It was shocking when I walked into that locker room and there was David in number 20, you know, my on my uniform and I thought about this is great being here, but even more so was having the number who was an idol of mine who um you know, I wanted to be like or represent the goodness that he did. Yeah. That's amazing. It all kind of came full full circle. Yeah, moment, it it was right? I mean I had tears in my eyes for a lot of reasons and then being able to call my parents and tell them that I just got you know called up to the major leagues after all these years of work you know yeah it was um it was pretty it was a moment I'll never forget well, did you always know that you were going to be in the major leagues did you kind of have a different career path in your mind no um when I was in junior college before I uh, LA Valley Junior College in Southern California before I got the scholarship to go play at Cal State Fullerton um I thought about dentistry actually mm. but there was a year my sophomore year that I turned the corner I realized I was pretty good I was getting some accolades here you know and I thought I better pursue this first and I can always fall back perhaps mm-hmm. and it just 
clicked. And, you know, it's hard to put those types of things into words, but it was my, my mind and my body were just developing in such a way that I knew I had a chance to go the distance here. Mm-hmm. And I went for it. What was it like playing in the major leagues? Well, that's, yeah, that was beautiful. And I remember my first game, uh, my parents and my uncle and aunt uh, flew to Detroit. Mm -hmm. So my first professional major league game Mm -hmm. was in Detroit. It was the first game of a doubleheader and my parents made it, which was unbelievable. Anyhow, you know, so I had to put them on the pass list. (laughs) (laughs) And I did something um, spectacular. I hit a home run in my first major league at bat. Mm-hmm. And in 1984, I was the 49th player to hit a home run in his first major league at bat. I believe there's about 70 today that have done it. So that in itself was amazing, you know. But playing in the major leagues with the best is um, it, it's hard to put into words other than you recall more so what you put into it to get there. Mm-hmm. It, does that make sense? I mean, the tough times, you know, the struggles, because um, there, there are struggles along the way in anything we do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you had to perform and be at your best every day. You know, because baseball is every day. And it's not like, you know, I know the NBA plays three days a week, hockey, football's once a week, and they're all different different ideas. Mm-hmm. But we play seven days a week, basically. So mentally, we have to be prepared every single day. Mm-hmm. And if you let up, you can get beat, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't perform like you should. So... I was more mentally tough than I was physically tough. And that's what I think allowed me to do what I did. Mm-hmm. Throughout all the levels that you played from high school, college, minor leagues, mm-hmm. major leagues, what was your favorite team to play on? And this can be just um, something big or just the team itself was? I think there's three that stick out. One, when I was at Cal State Fullerton in 1979, we won the College World Series. Mm-hmm. So we were the, the champions in, in, in the United States, NCAA champions. Um, when I was in AA in Orlando, which was with the Twins, the Minnesota Twins who I played in the major leagues with, that team was fascinating. I had a great time. We won it all there. Um, and the last thing is now being with the Kansas City Royals and coaching the last 23, 24 years, um, being part of the, the Major League Baseball's World Series. We won the World Series in 2015. So those three really stand out as, mm-hmm. you know, memories for me. Mm-hmm. There's many others, but those three stand out. Yeah. So you were born in California and you played college baseball in California. And then in 1980, you're drafted by the Minnesota Twins in the eighth round. Mm-hmm. What's going on through your mind at that point? Well, I was actually drafted in 79 okay. in the 11th round by the Twins. 
but I chose to go back to school and play because the signing, bo the signing bonus wasn't what I wanted. I, see. I asked for more and I chose to go back to school. And I, they drafted me again and I went in the eighth round. And back then, and as it is today, if you're a senior in college, you really have no leverage. So I signed for less than what I would have gotten the year before as a junior, where I had the leverage. It just didn't work out. So that's part of negotiations. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up signing the, the scout that drafted me, uh, Jesse Flores Seniors, uh, came to my house and we did the contract with my parents there. And I think within 48 hours, I was on my way to start my career in professional baseball. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the Twins, you played alongside guys like Gary Gietti and Kirby Puckett, just to name a couple of the players. Were there any memorable stories you have about that Twins clubhouse? Well, we were... It was really led by Ken Herbeck and Gary Gietti. Mm -hmm. um, and today we're all still friends. We did lose Kirby Puckett about eight, ten years ago. He passed away here in Scottsdale. Um, he was actually a real good friend of mine. And that was that was tough to take at an early age. But um, the, the, our locker room was, and today it's a little different. You know, there's a lot more money involved, a lot more egos. It's, it's a different game. Back then, the camaraderie was unbelievable. And I don't know if today's players move on, do they still, will they still stay in contact with those they played with or competed with? We are still friends today from that group in the 80s. Um, and, and that in itself is wonderful. We've maintained a friendship, most of us. And in the locker room, we, we all got along. There was no egos. Um, we just knew we were friends, but we went to war together. And everybody there, the Greg Gagneys, the Timmy Laudners, the Frank Violas, all these that you can look up, we are all still friends today. And, and we still touch base with each other. And that's wonderful. I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a lot of memories there. That's awesome that you kind of still carried on that, that teamwork and friendship yeah. after all those years. And we're all over the country, mm -hmm. but we still connect. Yeah. That's amazing. Your first major league at that was a home run against future Hall of Famer Jack Morris. How surreal was that moment? And what was your approach during that at bat? Were you simply looking to get on the base or were you swinging for the fences? Well, there was a runner on third, so it was what they call an RBI situation. And uh, Jack Morris is now in the Hall of Fame. And they actually, when he went in, the newspapers called and did an article for me with Jack. It was really, it was really precious. Uh, he's a, a broadcaster now. So it's been a few years since I've seen him, but I would see him quite a bit and we would reminisce about that. Yeah. You know, I was just a young rookie and he was a veteran and he was the winningest pitcher in the 90s too, which was, yeah, I don't know how, but anyhow. Um, 
I was just trying to make good contact. Okay. And with, to try to get the RBI. Yep. And I, re, I can remember the at-bat. The first pitch he threw me was a fastball, and I fouled it straight back. Uh, the next pitch, he threw a split, and I fouled it back. So now I'm 0-2. I'm in, I'm in the hole. Yeah. Uh, the next pitch was a fastball up and away. So now it's 1-2. and two. And then he threw me another split, which he hung. It wasn't like the first two. And I was able to get to it, and that's when I hit the ball in the upper deck in Detroit for a two-run home run. So I do remember the the at bat, and yeah, I was. You're always nervous before a game, but once the first pitch is in play, whether you're on offense or defense, you're 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 into the game. You don't even know anything else. Mm-hmm. You're locked into what you're to do. Yeah, all the outside noise. Yeah, but before every game, minor leagues or major leagues, I you're. You know, the, the butterflies are there. They're just in formation. <laughs> but once the game starts, it, th- those go away. But it's all the prepping for the game, the anticipation of the competition and understanding who the opposing pitcher is and all those other things. Mm-hmm. They get you worked up, yeah. you know. To, but once that first pitch, you take – it goes away. You just go compete. Yeah. There's no – Stress. Have you ever had um, an experience when um, another player, that another team that you're playing against, either um, one of their players was kind of you know trying to get into your head or make you weak or? Well, there the, the the pitcher sometimes you know will play some mind mind games with yeah. you, but you know you're so focused on your task, whether I was on defense or whether I had a bat in my hand at the plate or I was in the dugout watching the game. Or not even in that game. You're so disciplined that you don't have time for any of that. I mean, you may see something, but it just it bounces off you because you got to get back and pay attention. And, you know, that's where persistency and efficiency come from, mm-hmm. is being able to lock into what you're doing, even if you're not involved in it at that moment. But you can get some information from what you're watching, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? It does. Um, besides the home run being kind of, I think, your number one mm-hmm. um, thing in the, in the major leagues, do you have any other memories that you are extremely proud of or fond of that you look back to today and say, wow, that was pretty cool? Uh, we were in Seattle, and I had a four-for-five day in Seattle. That was a big game. But... You know, I just cherished every moment because I was proud that I had family support through it all. I was proud that I got to where I got because I sacrificed. You know, when when friends, as as I was coming through, they would want to go, you know, jet skiing and water skiing and snow season and all those things in the off season I was in the gym I was working on my swing so I sacrificed and all those things came back to why I got there and I didn't take any shortcuts and that that drove me all those other intangibles you know 
I stayed on task to this day, pretty much. Wow. Everybody would say that. Very cool. Um, when did you know that it was time for you to transition from playing to coaching? Um, I would say mostly I lost a step or two. Uh, I couldn't get to a good fastball. I just saw that players were a little stronger than me. They, they, were, they were up and coming. And, and you, you kind of feel that, you know, that it's time. And um, I thought, well, I've been through all this. Now, maybe I can all what I've learned, not just about the swing in baseball and how to teach hitting and all those things, but what it takes to be successful. And successful doesn't mean you make a whole bunch, the best, you know, a lot of money, but being successful in what you are going to do and help players reach their ceiling. They might not make it to the big leagues, but I can help them along the way. So right now, if you can tell the um, our listeners, what team are you currently coaching and what position are you coaching? So I am down to probably my last year. I'm probably going to retire next year after 42 years. Um, I will stay here in Arizona and I will just stay with our young rookie ball clubs or the Latin American players that come over from our academy and introduce them into our system. So I, I don't have to travel and, and go all over the place anymore. I'll just, I'll be at home. I can go home every night. And the other thing is I help mentor and develop young coaches that are coming in to our organization, the Kansas City Royals. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of do both mentor and help young coaches understand our approach and philosophy in the organization and how to do the things that we believe in, help mentor to them and work with the young players coming in. So I, I, it's a combination right now. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What's a big piece of advice that you give to your players that you coach? There, there's a lot, but I would say for me, the the biggest thing is understanding what it takes and tell them the truth that you will struggle. You will go through difficult times. This is, a, you know, you, you have your goals and we'll set them with you that are realistic and measurable, mm -hmm. but there's going to be some tough goes and me and other coaches are there for you. We're your family away from home. Mm -hmm. And you have to be honest with these players. You can't say everything is peaches and cream. It's not. It is a tough go. And to climb that ladder, that pyramid, to get to the top, you know, the playing field is level. At You may have been a superstar in high school or in college, but now you're drafted and you're in pro ball. Everybody's good. And you got to learn to have some good coping skills and and deal with things and be upfront with us when you when you have those uh, concerns or emotional things going on. So we want that emotional stability built in these players. So that's really important. We'll get to the physical part, but we got to know that they understand the reality of what this game is really about and what it takes and how much you got to put into it. But there will be some tough, tough days, but we will get through them. Mm -hmm. How many hours a day would you? Uh... <laughs> I would say we're 
for instance, if it's a seven o'clock game at night, mm-hmm. I'm probably, and that goes for all of us coaches and pro ball, other organizations as well. We're at the ballpark about 11. We start, I'm, I'm part of the hitting program. So we're in the cages probably about one to three. Then we go take batting practice on the field. Then we do our defensive work. Then we review video. Uh, the game's at seven. So we're there working every day, seven days a week like that. And then the game, then after the game, there's usually reports that have to be done. We send them in um, on the game, on the players, where they're at, all part of the evaluation on a daily basis. And usually back, you're back at the hotel, or in my case, I'll be at home uh, 12 o'clock at night. And then we, I get up, head to the ballpark again, get up about 8, have breakfast at the stadium, and then lunch. But I get there early to set the day. But th- th- we do that every day. I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. Wow. Those are extremely long days. Yes, they are. It's not people turning on the TV and there's a baseball yeah, game. There's a lot of preparation. <laughs> there's a lot of planning and, and the approach to what we're doing daily. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If there's a final piece of advice that you want to give to our listeners, and we have listeners all around the world, um, and they're majority are Assyrian, most are not Assyrian. So what's one piece of advice that you'd like to give them? Well, when I talk to youth uh, at clinics and, and other and the parents at the very end of the day after the coaching is done, it's, there's questions and answering answers. And I always say for me, and I leave this with the players and the parents, and, and I still say it today. I've said it to my kids. You want to be around successful people. It doesn't mean you're, you know, you can grow up and have your own plumbing company. You can go up and be a CPA. You can be whatever you want to be. But kids, hang around those that want to be successful. Don't think there's an easy way out. There's no shortcuts. And discipline yourself enough to do that. And I did it. I hung around kids that want to be successful, you know. They weren't baseball players. We played Little League, but they did their thing. But we learned how to have good work habits. You know, we learned how to trust people that you know want to be successful. We leaned on each other. We communicated. And we built a trust. And I think you got to find kids that you can build a trust with. Or grown-ups, find, find those that you trust. And that works. There's, I just don't believe there's an easy way. You know, there's so many bumps in the road and the recovery to get going again is you have to surround yourself with people that are like-minded like you. And that's the biggest advice. I think this country and everybody else will be a lot better if they learn to just do that simple task. And it's hard sometimes. Um, There's a lot of stuff out there that can get you in trouble. And there's no shortcut to success, whatever that success is for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a great piece of advice. Have there has there ever been a time where you felt like giving up? I, I would say in my professional career, once um, I was in Double A, I was struggling. 
And the manager called me in his office, who ended up being my major league manager in Minnesota. His name was Tom Kelly. And we were talking. And he said to me, I, I was pretty upset. I just couldn't figure out what was going wrong. And I put a lot of pressure on myself, which makes things worse. I didn't know how to relax, back off, regroup, reset. I, I didn't know how to do that. So after a talk, he said to me, remember two things. And this stuck with me still today. This game is not your life, nor your wife. And what he meant was, you only play this a short time, give it what you got, but it, it, it's not the end of the story. Your family will always be there for you. And it made sense to me. And then I went out and it just, it relaxed me, allowed me to, my ability to take over, my ability to produce. But I, I, that was the one thing he said to me, this game is not your life nor your wife. And allowed me to take a deep breath, and no, my family still loves me. And I, you know, I only do this a short time, five years, 10 years as a player. I ended up coaching after that, not knowing that at the time, but I saw things a lot differently. That's awesome. Um, I know you mentioned, you know, your constant support from your family, um, how has it been on your wife mostly? Because you, I mean, you just mentioned your schedule that you're pretty much gone yeah. all day. Um, how was that with your with your family and your the kids? It's a great question because I have two daughters, thirty five and thirty. One's married with two grandkids. The other one better be engaged this year. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she raises the girls, you know. Early on, I was gone months at a time, and um, it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would come home at this, see, I'd be in this atmosphere of all, in locker room, of all these men and, you know, that macho stuff. And I come home and I got three beautiful girls. Mm -hmm. I had to make an adjustment, but she's the hero of all this. She's my MVP, and I tell her that all the time. Uh, we've been together 35 years, and it's tough. You know, there were some tough struggles along the way, but if you have faith um, and you communicate, you can get through it. Mm -hmm. But it was very difficult, and we, we you know, we, we share it. We talk about it all the time still today, how I thank her for raising the kids have been great. They're all educated. They all have jobs. And uh, she kept them on task and kept them straight. And, you know, dad was doing what he needed to do to provide. But she's my MVP. And I, I can't I can never repay that. That's very sweet. That's very sweet that you say that. When you were on away games, how how long were you away? How, what was that well, when I like? yeah, when I got into coaching, I would be gone for maybe a month, come back for three days, go back out. When I was traveling all over, um, 
I was toward the end of my playing career when we were just getting together. So it could be seven, eight months. She would, I would maybe see her once as she was raising the little ones. So at different times, it was difficult. Some were better than others. But when you look at the big picture, it was um, pretty amazing that she she held it together. And, and, you know, we cried together, you know. We worked through it. But here we are today. And um, like I said, I can't thank her enough because... It's a tedious job. It's a stressful job, a lot of pressure. But she allowed me to do that. And I know she was taking care of the kids, you know, and we talked every night on the phone at the end of the night. She would want to talk probably for 30 minutes and I would want to talk for two and a half minutes <laughs> because you're, you know, you're exhausted in my mind. But she... um she was unbelievable. That's amazing. And at, when you were uh, traveling this much while you were coaching, were you living out here in Phoenix? Yeah. Well, when I was a coordinator, I would be in a plane every five days for the entire season. I'd, I'd go to uh, Dominican Republic where we've had academy. Mm-hmm. I coached in Venezuela one off season. So I, I missed, you know, three months of that before I came home. So I've I've been around. I've been in probably more cities than most people do in a lifetime. But it it was worth it for a lot of reasons, looking back. But I do recall how difficult it was on the family unit. But we persevered, and um, we're, we're good. That's great. Yeah. With COVID happening... In, in 2020 and then kind of causing its ramifications, not just on baseball, but the entire world, mm-hmm. um, is baseball kind of back to what it was before? Yeah, it's it's back. And I remember in spring training that year, we get a uh, summons from the general manager. We're all getting ready to start today and you know, everybody meet and here we go. They stop Major League Baseball in the middle of the spring training. And it sent a shockwave through through baseball, of course, and you know the country. And um, but we're back; it's uh, healthy again, which is nice to see. I, you know the fans are back, but it took a while. You know, it, I got COVID. You know, my wife got COVID. Our kids got COVID, but. Um, Another hurdle. Another hurdle. Another stressor in your life that you got to do. Yeah, add it to the list. (laughs) So, you know, life's life's about hanging in there. Yeah. You know, not every day is going to be beautiful, but if you have your faith and you you understand those things Mm -hmm. and you have family that communicates things well, my kids still today... They could be in Scotts. We, we talk every day the girls call us, Lisa and I, every day, At maybe three or four times a day. We're, we're you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. that's how we were all raised. Yeah. I talk to my parents all the time. You know, my, my wife lost, you know, her parents, but we were all close. We were all close. So, yeah. and that's the way I grew up. And I think the Assyrians, 
are still like that today. You know, they have the once a year Syrian conventions. It was in Scottsdale this year. Yep. So I popped in. I brought the you grand did? I brought the grandkids. Tanner was there. <laughs> and um years ago when it was in San Diego, maybe I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I took Tanner, me, and my parents went to the Syrian convention. Mm-hmm. It was in San Diego. Yeah. And uh that was that was awesome. So they go every year. The girls get together and, and, and they go. Yeah. But um, so I met him in Scottsdale for a half a day and ate around the pool area and uh, met some other Assyrians, you know, and they once they see I'm in baseball, you know, then conversations start flying, you know, <laughs> but it's OK. You know, it's my culture. Yeah. What's the craziest question that you've been asked by a fan? Uh, the craziest question, I don't know if anybody's asked me thing crazy. Most people ask me, you know, what it took to get there. You know, all the obstacles that that's what I find. Because when you reach, whether, you know, you're playing in the NHL, NBA or NFL or wherever, or MLB, they want to know how you, you got there. And that goes back to just doing the right thing and hanging with the right type of kids growing up and, you know, set a standard for yourself. And I got that foundation from at home. Yeah. And I know it's tough today. Some people come from broken homes and it's difficult. But, you know, I'm a I'm a Christian. We go to our family goes to church, you know. I would recommend finding a youth program. Mm-hmm. You know, find some stability. You know, you can find your way when there's some stability. You seem to have a clearer mind and what you want to do. That vision, you know, right. it's more clear. So no one's really asked me that. It's more about what it took to get to where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you touched on convention and going to convention and meeting other Assyrians. Last year, our organizations here in Arizona held a Assyrian New Year Festival mm-hmm. at the Peoria Sports Complex. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Padres and uh, Mariners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Spring training happens yeah. down there. Yep. Um, and I remember during that time last year, I was uh, communicating with your daughter, Tanner, to kind of schedule you in for an interview. And she said, it's crazy for in the baseball world. There's a lockout happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How was that experience? Yeah. The, the collective bargaining agreement, the lockout, we were on hold. We all knew it would get settled at some point we didn't know how or when but as time went on we knew that they need there needed to be a season because of covid and and the previous stuff so we were praying that it would get settled and it did eventually Uh, nothing really lost uh pitchers were able to catch up hitters were able to get their swings in and get the timing ready so nothing was lost. We're glad it got done. But, you know, it's one of those hurdles again. And how you deal with it individually is important. And I think that when stuff like that happens to me or others, you go back to your roots a little bit and remember what it took and have some patience and 
you're, there's going to be some difficult times along the way. And you got to be, you know, have the courage to be a little resilient and understand. And, and, and I have my faith, so I, I, I rely on that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So you would say that your um, way to get through the hurdles and the challenges has been your faith and you touched on your family support. Absolutely. Kind of been your Yeah, your my rock. That's my base. That's my foundation for why I'm, I'm sitting here today is because of those. That's amazing. You know? Mm-hmm. And parents are hanging in there. You know, they're older, but... My brother's doing good. His family's doing good. So one, st- one step, when they say one step at a time, it's one step at a time. Yeah. And I don't look past that. Yeah. Wow. Well, Andre, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, <laughs> talking baseball, walking down memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, are there any final words or remarks that you'd like to say? I would just say to those who are looking to direction in life, Again, just take your time. Don't make harsh decisions one step at a time. Make a list, evaluate things that you want to do. Then you can eliminate what you do and don't want to do. But don't be in a hurry to just do something. Take your time. Hang around others that want to be successful, whatever age you're at. And um, give yourself time to work through things. Be be a little kinder to yourself. You'll, you'll get a clear picture of really what you want to do. Thank you so much for listening to the Assyrian Podcast and for your continued support. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to and share the episode with your family and friends.